everybody. Thanks again for joining us on the Twyla After Show. With me, of course, Carl Wiggers, the co-producer of This Week in Louisiana Agriculture, and co-hosts Kristen Oaks and Avery Davidson. Guys, thanks for joining us. And um, we uh, we kind of turned the show into a harvest preview sort of mm-hmm. show here with a lot of a lot of stories and all the grains that are being done. Um, the big news this week, of course, was the USDA Crop Progress Report, and that we're going to talk about that in a bit. But it, uh, it it leads into this idea that we've seen all across the state the the damage the trade war has done to prices and this harvest that farmers are facing. A lot of them are seeing some pretty good yields, but the prices are just in the tank right now. The market facilitation program, the which is the Trump administration's program to help mitigate some of that damage, has been announced. And Louisiana saw we were pretty much mid-range in, in the United States. But some parishes, I went out to Tensaw Parish, for instance, had $102 per acre. I mean, it was just a lot of... Uh, it indicates a lot of impact that this trade war has had on our farmers. And uh, unfortunately, this payment is really just kind of a, a stopgap measure for many of them. That's what we're hearing is that it's a necessary payment, but they would rather not have it at all. Um, and if, if if they would rather have the markets. Yeah. What, what were the farmers? Are they sick of the trade war? Or are they just kind of saying... If we get, keep getting this MFP, we'll, we'll, well, we can endure it. Carl, ask your dad. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I was curious about the one that he spoke with. Well, what I'm hearing from many farmers across the state is this: that they understand the purpose of it. I mean, they're very informed, and they've been informed on on China issues before. But um, harvest is coming, and they're trying to sell their crops. And now, for the second year in a row. We're not seeing uh, any kind of market, and there's nothing out there. Uh, the administration announced a new round of tariffs starting in August on some products. Since then, he's taken some on the list, off the list, that sort of thing. But um, uh, it, it's it, what it means, what it's really showing is that we're not seeing any kind of resolution anytime soon for, well, for those trade wars. Fortunately, he pushed some of those tariffs back that they were supposed to start on uh, September 1st. He pushed those back to December 15th. So that's going to make a, a big difference there for consumers because you were talking about having toys, face tariffs, and clothing, those sorts of things. iPhones, iPads. Yeah, electronics. They said they did that for the Christmas, people buying their Christmas goods. So, But that also means it's a delay in terms of why China should come to the table any anytime soon. And, and uh, there's no real indication of that that happening. When you talk about, I know that a, a lot of people, if you're not in the farming business, you look at this as free money for farmers and it, it, as, as a bailout, have, a lot of people have said. But this is one thing that I want people to think about, that something that, that I haven't thought about. So you not only have the low prices for the crops that are across the board, I would say, um, you have a lot of farmers that had damage from berry that came in and dumped double-digit amounts of rain. So in, in our fields, the soybean fields that were not the ones that, that made it through all of that rain, but they're seeing something else that they're having to do right now, which is extremely costly. They have added fungus pressure and insect pressure because of all the moisture that's ha- that, that just sat on those beans for so long. So in addition to they've already sprayed fungicide, they've already sprayed pesticides once this year, they're having to do that again. That So that is a huge added cost that most of them didn't anticipate. So... These MFP payments are literally going to help them get back to even to not. I mean, 
at this point, I'd say for a lot of farmers in the state, profit is out of the it's and, and, and it's, it's, it's get back to even maybe. I yes, mean, that's the big, big thing about that, uh, you know, and, and from what I, I talked to with them in, in the fields, especially up in Tensaw Parish, you know, um, and what I made the point I made in my story was that a lot of this, especially when you start thinking about bailout, it, the question comes, do we want farming in the United States? You know, do we trust other countries to make our food for us? And and when you, you know, I mean, maybe there's some abuse out there, but the reality is, is that farmers could get this payment year after year after year, just in a normal course of business, because like you brought up, there's all of these hidden expenses that come up. That don't have to do with the markets. That, that <laughs> don't have to do with the markets or anything else that ultimately they eat. I mean, you don't, consumers never, they never pass on the cost to consumers. They have a ceiling on their prices. So all of this is about whether or not we want to support agriculture in Louisiana and the United States. But also, folks, you need to think about, you're not growing the food that you're eating, okay? You're free to go and have whatever life you want. You want to be a public relations uh, professional? Hey, you get to do it. Why? Because you don't have to grow your own food. So you're paying to make sure that someone is still there to grow your food tomorrow. Because if we lose our farms, you now lose your ability to follow the career path you've chosen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, agriculture that's the is part. the cradle of civilization. That's for something sure. my dad brings up all the time whenever we get to chat. And then we get on these, you know, dad gets really philosophical about, you know, farming and his way of life that he loves and he's done it his whole life. But he he remind he reminds me often. He said, and he doesn't do it in a way that has to. He, he didn't have to preach this to me, but he does just because he gets on his soapbox. But he says, because me and the rest of the two percent farm, it gives you the opportunity to go be a PR guy. It gives your wife the opportunity to go be a nurse practitioner and not wonder where your next meal comes from. You don't have to worry about being home tending to the garden mm-hmm. out of necessity. You can do it for fun, like. Kristen yeah. or myself. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about all the caterpillars eating everything you exactly. have. Exactly. Exactly. So it's one of the things that's kind of fun to uh, to talk with my dad about, but it's one of those things that it's just we, we forget because of the world that we live in today. Well, we got a we had a special guest come by at but one point. Jim and Roe just walked by. We were that that's the sound you you heard of the door coming. So hopefully we'll get him in here talking about it because he's uh well there he is, Jim Monroe. We were just talking about the MFP program and how important uh, farming is. Apparently, you know, we, we apparently can't survive without eating. So Absolutely. they say. <laughs> so they say. No, the it is really important. Uh, with the current prices and the weather difficulties that we've had this year and the trade difficulties uh, uh, it is critically important to the profitability or, or try to get somewhere close to break even it, it is incredibly important and i just want to come in here and make sure everyone knows who this is jim monroe assistant to the president well former assistant to the president louisiana farm bureau federation i, I guess my question to you jim is is this uh, over the 40 something years you've you've been in your career in agriculture these ad hoc programs of one kind or another have popped up all the time. And the argument has always been that it's a bailout for farmers, that it's a, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, giving wealthy farmers more money. But we've never had a real big increase in the number of farmers over that year. It seems like all of these programs are just barely keeping them in business. Uh, absolutely. It's never, it's, it's, it, you never get back to break even is, is, is the real problem. 
because uh, something if if there is a program like this in the past, it's generally been because of weather events. But if there is a program like this, it's bad. It's really bad. And so uh, none of these programs ever put you in the black. They they hopefully they just uh, soften the red a little bit. As as I've seen, I mean, it, it's you know, and it doesn't really matter what the what the disaster is. It just comes up to, uh, it, and, and it just seems like anytime there's that payment, number one, it's always takes a long time. It's not like it it you know they're getting it right as soon as the disaster happened. It's usually sometimes two, three, five years after the event. And the other thing is, I, I mean. It seems like with the fall coming up, the butcher's bill is coming due with with a lot of this because we still don't have a market. We still, I mean, China's out of the business. It is a, I mean, what are farmers really going to do across the state when we've got all this grain and all this cotton to put somewhere and there's nowhere to go? And we're, I mean, and with the market report that came, uh, the acreage report and all that came out this Monday, uh, it it devastated the market. I mean, corn's well below four dollars. Soybeans well below nine dollars. Uh, we had some opportunities a little bit in the in the summer to to book some of that, but uh, who knew that's where it was, you know? And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how how it all plays out when the it, the real test is what comes through the combine or the cotton picker. And as my dad used to say, it doesn't count until you have bagging and ties around it as far as cotton is concerned. And so. Uh, Practically everything is is really feeling the trade pinch of, of the activities that have been going on. Well, Jim, how are you enjoying retirement so much that you you get dragged in here just because you look through the window and wave? <laughs> you made a mistake by <laughs> being seen. It's good. Uh, I, I guess uh, now that I'm a full time farmer <laughs> in your backyard. Or... <laughs> well, with the family farms in in the in North Louisiana and. Uh, checking on them and see how they're doing and and that sort of stuff i guess retirement's going okay i've got most of the boxes unpacked (laughs) (laughs) and connie's got enough for you to do around the house and there's a long list and things keep getting in added to the bottom my question is is you know is it farming your primary job right now or is it chauffeur as school gets ready to get started school started this week so uh yeah that that's (laughs) added to the list now (laughs) it's a lot well thank you for joining us we really appreciate your thoughts and uh you know it's just it's got to be hard seeing it this happen year after year for these farmers well you know like as you said i've done this a long time and watched agriculture over a long time and certainly it goes up and down and there have been really tough times back in the 80s and you know it there's a cycle to it there's no doubt about it and we're in a in a truly a down cycle now and uh, the problem is that we the usda and various others don't really see any any much increase in prices over the next few years i was about to ask is there a silver lining no <laughs> i was gonna say that's encouraging no. not, not if you that were we a fortune see teller what would you what do you predict i don't know it's uh it's it's good I don't remember a a time quite like this in that we had situations where there were lots of, you know, we had huge crops or something like that. There was just a lot of it. But uh, this is a little bit different in that we're dealing with markets that we'd spent years and years developing and, and massaging and fitting into and all that. And that's, that's all been disrupted. And so, 
I don't know exactly. I mean, it's a zero-sum game. There's all corn's corn, no matter where it comes from. But uh, switching from one market to another is is not just something you do at the drop of a hat, and that's what we're trying to do here. I'm afraid. And I think it also showed that we're probably a, a little bit too dependent upon one market, one country, and it's one of those cases where if we had other places buying from us, it would it would help out a heck of a lot. It would. I mean, any market any market that we can find would be one we'd want to sell to. I mean, they have some of the smaller markets that I guess maybe hadn't been you know that important, they're a lot more important now. We're cheering when Iraq buys the rice from Louisiana now. We're still hopeful that we get to open up Cuba as a market for rice. That would help out our folks down in southwest Louisiana as well. But it would. corn and soybeans, that, that'd be another issue. Yep. Well, let me ask this. I, is it possible that we could transition to having more pigs in this country? Because it sounds like China's pork industry has been devastated by the Asian swine flu. And I mean, of course, you know, their consumption is way over what we what we produce, much less consume here in the United States. But could it be possible that we could start instead of sending them the raw products to feed those those pigs, could we start growing them here and have a better market for our grain growers? Yeah, I think we could for a limited time. For a limited time, till we got over that production loss that they've had because of the of the disease that they've got, that's the other thing that you that you really don't know how long. Where else is that going? I mean, it's spread to some other countries as well, and so yes, yes, we're going to be the we're so far we've been maintained our sanitary phytosanitary requirements and not had the disease, so it opens up a market. You know, but they're probably only going to buy them from us if they have to. It just seems like every time China's, when they have problems like this, they always kind of conceal how bad the problem is. So if they're saying it's 40 or 50 percent of their pigs, then that it's probably closer to 70, 80. It's a lot. Yeah. I mean, and we're talking about millions and millions of pigs. I mean, you got to think there's a billion people there, and they could easily consume a pound a piece, you know, in a month, much less. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a lot of pork. Yeah, it's like a, a friend of mine used to say: if we could just get all the Chinese to buy one more T-shirt, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have a, 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 an oversupply of cotton. You know? Right. <laughs> all right. Thank you for coming by. What are you doing in the office today? Well, I was here for uh, came to uh, Baton Rouge today for a tax commission meeting, and. Uh, did that with Kyle and uh, had to come by and, and do some things here at the office. And muscle memory just brought you back just, down airline, didn't I, it? Yeah, and, and, and I stumbled in through the information uh, public relations department. We're glad you did. Thanks for coming by. All, All right. right. Thanks, Jim, for stopping by. And uh, we're going to move on. You've got a couple more grains this week, Carl, corn and rice stories. What's, what's uh Tell me about that and um, how is the corn looking? So the corn actually it, it, in Franklin Parish, where I'm most familiar, I guess. Uh, I went home this past weekend and, and I got talked to a couple of corn farmers there, one being my dad. And they're seeing pretty, they're pretty optimistic about the corn, uh, the yield so far. I don't even think he told me what kind of numbers they were seeing. He just said, I like what, I like what we're seeing. And um, I spoke with Kevin Graham, though, another farmer in that area that he and his family farm about 2,800 acres of corn. And they, they are really happy right now with their yields because they're on the Macon Ridge, which if you're familiar with that area, it's a, you know, it, it's good soil. It's, you know, just notorious for that good, uh, rich soil. And he was telling me about some of the friends he has, like at church and just other farmers he's talked to that 
are harvesting some on that kind of that great ridge where they're seeing you know 180 up to 200 215 220 ice cream ground great that's what i've heard yeah that's, that's another way it's, i used to call it yeah. yeah ice cream ground they're seeing you know up into low 200 bushel corn which is great corn and then they're going down into that dark that heavy soil and it's really clay real like mud like and they're getting down into the 30s and 40s in wow. corn bushel, which is just horrible. But that so he said it's the tale of two, you know, crops, yeah. and uh, that's that's really evident of what what we're seeing and hearing from farmers in that area. Kevin Graham and his family, who I spoke with, though they uh, they're feeling really good about most of their land. They have really good, mostly high ground. That's just that good ice cream dirt ice yeah. cream ground i'm assuming if he if he knew that he, if he's got that lower ground he was kind of prepared for that yeah but he he doesn't actually i don't think they have any of that he was just hearing that from some of the neighbors oh i gotcha um yeah. but yeah i think they probably were because they saw that wet and that all comes from the wet spring and even growing Barry. season they had Barry actually in that area was early predicted to be coming straight through franklin parish and that's what i remember kind of perking up about because that's my family's ground but also um you know just uh, i know there's a lot of crops that are very vulnerable at that time and uh, that's something i talked to kevin about and he said that you know with you know the kind of the wet spring which kind of delayed and kind of put a damper on uh, planting they were really really nervous and they saw the early predictions of barry but he said on their farm and a lot of farms in franklin parish were kind of were really spared they only got about two to three inches of, of uh, rain. The wind was more of an issue with the crop. They were they were more nervous about the wind that started that was just hammering on that corn crop. And I remember driving through around that same time it was coming through, and you could just see corn laying, uh, not quite at a forty five degree angle, but close to it because um, that wind was just laying on there. But he said two to three inches of rain from Barry, which was just really dodging a bullet. He was just really they were really really relieved about that because. That was about a week, week and a half before they got ready to cut uh, corn. But he, and he said, if anything, it helped their soybean crops. And talking to Donald Schecksneider over in Irwinville, he and uh, his brother Ray farm there, and they they're already done with their corn harvest. They got around 190 per acre, but he's got some neighbors around there who are only cutting about 140, 150. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really hit and miss. But where it's really miss is something that we didn't talk about in the show, but it's been really been the big story for the last couple of days. And that's the the markets for mm-hmm. corn. I mean, we had what two days ago, corn dropped the limit twenty five cents. Yesterday it dropped about Pretty nineteen cents. Yep. Right now, uh, corn is down seven cents to three fifty nine a bushel for uh, September corn. It's really tough to make a living on that. Mm-hmm. It, it is, and hopefully that volume will make up. But it, as it sounds like, some farmers are going to be okay with it and some are not. And it's all due to this USDA report that came out on Monday, which showed a million more corn acres than had previously been expected. A lot of that is this prevent planting stuff due to all the wet weather that they saw in the Midwest across the country. And I mean, it was supportive for beans, but just not enough. The beans and the corn markets kind of follow each other. And right now, it's it's just looking like there's just so much more corn than they expected. Of course, some of the weather is still going to play a part of that. But right now, as they go into the fields, um, they're looking to bring in a lot of corn that I, I, I don't know where it's going to yeah, go. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people have it, uh, beans at least, right. ha- still have it in storage from last year because the price never really took off this year. One of the things in the report was a two and a half billion bushel corn carryover from last year. That means there's two and a half billion bushels that are coming in and 
90 million acres even of corn that's going to come in on top of that. The FC Stone, the traders up in Des Moines, said that 90 million mark was kind of the kiss of death for the corn markets this year. This report, if these numbers hold true, and that is a big if, but if they hold out, that's going to overhang the market for the rest of the year. And uh, hopefully we'll see a pickup in livestock. We'll see a pickup in chicken. I know there's a lot more consumption. There's a lot more demand for that kind of stuff. But it's going to take a lot to move all of that corn. And we could be here in this studio this time next year saying, yep, there's still two and a half billion bushels of corn on the market. I'm so glad that you have such happy news to share with us, Neil. It makes, <laughs> no. It's that warm glow in your soul well, that you, you bring know, every time to the conversation. Everybody's, <laughs> I, I guess everybody's got somebody's, you've got to have a doom and gloom guy in every department, and I guess it's it's me. But uh, I, I just, I, I think it's important that we're realistic about this. And like I said, once harvest comes in, we're just going to have a bad uh, a bad time uh, let's move on let's move not on so now. much doom and gloom i mean it's still not perfect i'm sorry but uh it's better than expected and that's one of the things that i heard from some of the rice guy uh alan lawson a rice farmer i went and spoke with this past week who's uh cutting rice and he's not seeing quite average yields they're just under average um which he's not super excited about but when you put it in perspective remember what barry was threatening you know with double digit rainfall on his rice crop that was almost ready it was trying to be dried out i remember a few weeks ago we talked about how the rain seems to come at the wrong times for rice farmers uh when they're flooding it's dry when they're it's, when they're trying to drain their fields and dry them out it's flooding so um that's kind of the what they were expecting again and it didn't quite come but it, the rain did hurt the yields that they're seeing there in uh, Acadia Parish where Lawson Farms, he's really optimistic because of the fact that they dodged a bullet. And I know not every rice farmer can say that. Uh, Richard Fontenot, I know, got a lot of rain. I know there's a lot in Avoyles Parish that got tons of rain. But in Acadia, he says he dodged a bullet in that Barry did not bring what they were expecting. Um, and that's so there's some saving grace there. But the other thing that he's kind of optimistic about is the fact that acreage is down across the state and the country. Uh, I think across the country, it's down about 200,000 acres, which on the global scale is not that much, but it's enough to hopefully maybe push that price up a little bit. And that's what Lawson's, you know, kind of holding on hope for. He, he did tell me, he said, uh, he said, you know, you know, farmers are the eternal optimists and we're going to find some kind of a silver lining somewhere if we can. And I was kind of like, oh, well, I forget. But he was really quick to remind me that it could be worse. And I was kind of like, well, well you he's, are right. <laughs> he's right a little bit about the markets. Uh, I'm looking at the prices right now, up four and a half cents and uh, 11 50, 100 weight. So I talked to another one of his neighbors, Jackie Lower, this week, and uh, I talked to him specifically about his rice crop. It's gorgeous. I got to take some pictures of it. It's it's a beautiful looking crop. Um, and uh, but what Mark Tall, who's the rice marketing specialist with Farm Bureau in that area, said a lot of these farmers, not necessarily Jackie Lower, but some farmers are seeing a beautiful crop on top and some red rice underneath. So hopefully that's been avoided. I've got some. Uh, film of Jackie going through his field and feeling all his rice, and he says it's pretty dry right now, so they're getting ready. They're blowing and going. They should be done by the end of the week. Well, I mean, that's something that people need to keep in mind when they go out on the roads right now is everything is being harvested. So there's lots of farm equipment on the roads, and that's the center of my story about harvest safety. Uh, Wendell Miley, who's the safety manager for the Louisiana Farm Bureau, 
he's all about making sure farmers have those slow-moving vehicle triangles on all their equipment. Um, I started my story off by saying, you know, a deer might run at 30 miles an hour, but a John Deere tractor is going to be going less than 30, uh, going less than 25 when it's on the highway. So when you go out on the road, just be patient with these folks. You know, they're, they're not trying going to make far. a living. Yeah, they're just going a couple of maybe a field down, maybe a mile down. So don't don't be in a rush. Watch out for them. Know that they're going to be there, but also, you know, farmers are they're watching out for you as well. Yeah, and this and also this is not uh, geographic. Like there's corn farmers in northeast Louisiana, north Louisiana. There's, you know, sugarcane in south Louisiana, corn and soybean farmers in south Louisiana. A lot of these guys are on the roads, mm-hmm. uh, moving around, getting to field to field, and getting to uh, maybe the the mill, the sugarcane mill. Uh, there's plenty of places that these guys are going. So don't think, oh well, I don't have farms by me. You probably do, and uh, you may encounter that. Well, think about it. Where's one of the bigger grain elevators? Louis Dreyfus in West Baton Rouge Parish. Mm-hmm. You've got folks up in northwest Louisiana who send their grain all the way there. Mm-hmm. And so, while you may not have farm equipment necessarily around there, you do have a lot more 18-wheelers who are going to be on the road full of grain, and it is definitely something you want to look out for. I know we've gone a long time here, but we had a special guest, Jim Monroe. I want to thank him so much. He's such a body of knowledge for us to, to draw upon, and I'm glad he was able to stop back in. On behalf of Kristen Avery Carl and myself, Thanks for joining us for the Twilight After Show. We'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe and share it with a friend. You can also support this podcast by completing a short survey on our website at twilatv.org slash podcasts. We would also really appreciate it if you would leave us a review wherever you're listening right now, be that Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. The Twyla After Show podcast is brought to you by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Louisiana Farm Bureau is the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you again right here next week.